Welcome to another episode of Undiscovered by Jamie. I just want to say thank you for all of the positive feedback that I got on the first episode. Guys, that truly means the world to me. Anybody who sent me DMs or texted me separately and let me know that they listened to it, um, I really, really appreciate your time. I'm also just blown away by the amount of people that were like, I so relate to this. It made me so excited to keep doing this because I feel like this is the closest that I've been able to connect with a lot of you. I almost wish all of you guys could read all the messages that I get from you because it just goes to show that all of us are so convinced we're alone and we're so not. I know I'm still by myself, but when you guys message me and say something resonates or give me something that you're going through and tell me about your experience, it's such a raw moment of connection. And I do like to get back to you guys and let you know what I'm kind of going through or things that I'm learning. And I'm not just going to like heart your message or be like, oh my gosh, totally. I do like to give you guys like very well thought out responses. So also if I see your message and don't respond right away, it's because I don't want to respond with something half-assed. So I wanted to start off this episode with something that I wrote because I've been getting really into writing lately. I actually started as a writer before any other creative outlet. So when I was 12, I started writing song lyrics because I quite literally thought I was going to be the next up and coming pop star. Spoiler alert, I was not. After hearing about The Idol, I am very um, grateful for that decision. I started writing lyrics and then when I got into high school and college, I started writing poetry. It was one of my favorite classes in college. And then I found myself stopping writing because I realized that it made me feel things that I did not want to feel. I'm actually glad that I took a step back when I was younger because I don't think I had the tools to sit with my emotions the way that I do now, but I found myself back to writing and it's felt so cleansing and therapeutic. I cannot even tell you. I remember moments in high school where I was so in my head and I'd be like, okay, Jamie, just take five minutes to write it down in a journal. And I just remember looking at the words being like, okay, this felt so cluttered in my head, but seeing it on paper it actually makes sense to me. I kind of want to start my podcast reading you some of my writing prompts of the week. I always say I think I'm a better writer than I am a speaker just because I can organize my thoughts. Like I might sound like this is linear, but the editing process after my podcast, I'm like doing a surgery on my stream of consciousness. So I'm going to read you guys a piece of writing. I actually posted it on my stories and my friend Leah from childhood, Leah Parekh, helped me edit a few of these lines and so she is fucking amazing and I'm gonna have her on the podcast at some point I wanted to start this episode with a piece of writing but clearly I cannot do that because I feel the need to over explain legitimately everything okay I'm 29 and this is what I would say to my younger self you don't like him don't wait for your gut to scream at you until it turns you inside out but when it inevitably does because you'll do what you want regardless Make sure you examine those insides. Convincing yourself to feel something is not a fair way to love anyone, and fighting to be loved isn't a fair way to love yourself. You'll become an actor because you're great at believing the lie. You'll become a writer because you're desperate for truth. You can be everything, everywhere, all at once. You don't have to squeeze your big self into one small niche. You are not too much, or maybe you are, but in a radical sort of way. Own your too muchness like the Academy Award you're so convinced you need. And stop apologizing for being so sparkly. You really are meant for miraculous, magnificent, marvelous things. It's not selfish to believe that. Something clicks when you're 25. Hard things and the emotions that come with them become more tolerable. You know how you always used to notice the way you felt about yourself around different people? Listen, your body will give you more answers than any intellectual reasoning. 
Being so excited to leave the party is so much cooler than being invited. And when you meet that super cute guy and it feels like a fairy tale, it's only because it is. And when his actions aren't adding up, don't be so cocky to think he'll change. Bite your tongue as your friends learn this lesson too, because unsolicited advice is rarely heard. Get comfortable with the spicy sweet in between. You'll be here longer than you want to be, and we'll figure out later. Being left behind is a false narrative you're clinging to. Death will teach you the most about life. Let it. Fly home for the day your brother speaks at his best friend's funeral. You won't realize this mattered until so much later. Don't let your nana leave you so many voicemails. Call her often, even if it's short. Keep giving her those sweet forehead kisses. You'll remember them most. OCD feels so very real, but I promise you it's not. You know this, so listen. You think worrying will keep you alive longer, but it's a silent killer. You won't miss what's meant for you if you let yourself relax. You love the rain because it gives you permission to slow down. Rain is cleansing. Keep dancing in it. Dairy isn't the devil. Body dysmorphia is. If he loves you for your body, he doesn't love you. Real intimacy has nothing to do with the shape of your body. Get the dog. She'll show you this too. Get the tattoos. They're sweet little documentations of time. When you like him, you'll know it. You're not crazy for wanting what you know is out there. You just suck at patience. You really were wise beyond your years when you said people change within their own shape. People do annoying things. You don't need to analyze all of it. Forgive and forget never feels accurate. Acceptance is enough. So much matters and so much doesn't. Life is confusing and heartbreaking and extraordinary. It sucks. You're going to love it. Fun fact, the only time I saw a psychic was in 2020, okay? I was feeling down. I was in a relationship that I knew, I knew was not right, okay? I knew within like three months that it wasn't right, but I was like, maybe I can intellectualize this and convince myself that it's something that we can work through. No. Deep throat, (laughs) sorry, guttural no for the things that you know in your body are not right. Your mind is not going to come up with a better answer. Just listen to your body. This I'm giving you this now. I promise you I am open to being wrong. I don't think I'm wrong on this. Okay? Okay. Capiche? So when I saw this psychic who, by the way, was recommended to me by my one friend who really isn't very woo-woo, but she did go and see her a couple times and she's like, listen, the psychic has never been wrong. She can be a little bit more on the generic side. She's not going to tell you anything bad. Okay. But she has predicted pretty much every single major life event that I've experienced. So I saw her in January 2020 and she ended up writing down like scribbling all of these notes that she had during our session and she mailed it to me. So I still have them. But a few of the takeaways from that session were number one, she was like, so things are going to slow down for you a lot in March and you are going to spend a lot of time with your family this year. And I was like, okay, this woman's full of shit because I live in California and my parents live in Chicago. So there's literally no way. Lo and behold, March 2020 was fucking COVID. And I broke up with my boyfriend at the end of September and spent the next six months at home in Chicago with my family. Listen, I'm going team woo-woo on this one. The other thing that she said was she was like, oh, your writing is going to do really well also. For the longest time, I only heard your writing is going to do really well. And for me, that meant two things. Number one, it meant what the fuck about my acting career? Okay, what about my acting? Is my acting going to do well? 
I immediately had a panic attack. I was like, oh my God, am I an undiscovered writer? Am I supposed to be a writer? Do I not know myself? Oh my God, am I missing something about myself? First of all, this is like the root of anxiety for me is am I missing something about myself? My friend, Naomi, who actually is a licensed therapist who I used to call my gravitated version of God (laughs) when we were in high school, she said to me just the most simple but profound thing that I have ever heard anybody say to describe my anxiety and she was like I think all of this is coming from a place of the fear of not deeply knowing yourself I'm just gonna say it again your anxiety is a fear of deeply not knowing yourself I would ask other people what they thought my body was feeling because I was like well how can I trust myself because everybody else has other opinions and maybe there's something I'm missing about myself That also deserves a guttural, no. That took me a while to learn. I also think that comes with age. I went back and I found this woman's letters and I noticed the word also. Your writing will do well also. Meaning she wasn't saying, you are only supposed to be a writer and that is it. She was saying, hey, so you can be everything everywhere all at once. And one of those things includes writing. I didn't feel ready to get back to writing until a few months ago. I don't know what came over me, but when I tell you the pen, I could not put it down for hours. It was almost as if the words were pouring out of me and it was like a release from my body. I think there is this spirituality to writing. If you guys follow me on Instagram, I posted um, a little life update. My Nana passed away two weeks ago. Um, and that was probably one of the hardest experiences of my entire life that, that genuinely was the hardest experience of my entire life. It was the first time I had actually experienced death in front of me. I was in the room with her when she passed up until about two minutes before, because I could not bear to watch the last breath. It felt like me and my family and my Nana were all going up on a roller coaster and only my Nana was going down the giant drop. And I was with Peyton yesterday and she was like actually I think your nana had the easiest time of all your family went down the giant drop your nana didn't go with you and I was like oh that that is exactly what it felt like so hearing Andrea Gibson's perspective about people that have passed on being part of the way our words pour through us when we're writing felt oddly comforting and I think it's because I need to believe that my Nana is still with me in another form. That is something that I am um, dealing with. But I will say, just to uh, throw in some comedy, because I don't know how to deal with death without throwing in comedy. My Nana went in for a surgery that we did not think was going to be problematic, and she ended up passing shortly after. Before surgery, my dad waved bye to her as she was as they were taking her into surgery, and he was like, see you soon. And my Nana, in her sarcastic, outspoken voice, said, Yeah, if I make it through. (laughs) And she didn't. (laughs) Oh, I don't know if I'm going to laugh or cry. There is nothing better to describe that woman's spirit. At least she was kind of in on the joke, you know? what I'm doing I'm kind of like accidentally writing like a memoir I'm going chapter by chapter there's really no formula but I do have faith that it'll work itself 
into something really good. And the thing is, I had a legitimate psychic tell me that my writing was going to do really well. So like, I'm not worried about it. I'm like, okay, free write, bitch, go for it. Throw shit against the wall because you know what? I know it's going to work out. So now I'm like, I wish this psychic would have been like, hey, so like your entire life is going to work out. You're going to get married. You're going to find the love of your life. Like maybe I need to go back to her just for her to give me, even if it's not true, just tell me, give me a false sense of certainty so that I can fucking relax about the rest of my life and be like, oh wait, everything's going to work out. Now I know what you're thinking. Jamie, you can just give that to yourself. Uh, Not with OCD, not with my level of OCD and anxiety. Absolutely not. Did I not just tell you that everybody else knows something that I don't know? Clearly, we're still working through that. So I posted on my stories that today we were going to talk about body dysmorphia or relationships. I've decided to go with relationships and the third episode is going to be about body dysmorphia. Relationships seems to be the topic that I get the most questions about in real life and online. Because relationships are so fucking confusing. I think this is something that we will forever be trying to figure out for the rest of our lives, how to both relate to ourselves and relate to other people in a healthy way. I also posted on stories uh, asking for you to share your story about relationships or ask any relationship-related questions. So I'm going to get to all of that at the end of the episode. But right now, I'm going to give you a little bit of my backstory on my relationship to relationships, (laughs) which is, I swear to God, if that's not already a thing, I'm coining it now. So I was one of those people that from the moment that I can remember thinking about boys and love, I was so enamored with it. I've kind of tried to understand how I show up in relationships because it confused me for a really, really long time. Because when I look back on my childhood, I had a pretty amazing childhood. My parents are still together. I saw a loving relationship between the two of them growing up. Obviously, they are not a perfect couple by any means. I also saw them fight. I think I also was a kid that was very affected by rom-coms and the movies that made it feel like a toxic lover was um, maybe like the most amazing thing in the world and something you should strive towards. The Notebook. I have so many critiques for that movie. Let me just start here, okay? The opening scene of that movie is Ryan Gosling pretending to almost kill himself by hanging off of a fucking Ferris wheel being like, if you don't go on a date with me, I will literally drop from this Ferris wheel and die. To which Rachel McAdams is put on the spot and she's like, well, I don't want this random fucking guy to die because I'm not a fucking sociopath. So sure, I'll go on a date with you. And we were supposed to think that was like so romantic. Of course, she has to marry the guy who's like affluent and rich and only the extremely rugged looking poor man that lives in the middle of the farm can be the one with the purest heart. It's communicating this message that... If you think you can have it all, you can't. You can pretty much watch the trailer and you'll probably get the ick within the first 30 seconds. That's not to say that the actors didn't do a fucking phenomenal job because they killed it. When I look back on my relationship history, I identified as somebody who had a very anxious attachment style. And I had some secure tendencies. And I honestly thought I was doomed. I was like, there is no way I could ever 
ever get out of this. Like I really didn't have hope for myself. And I was a true codependent. I would often go after partners that exhibited more avoidant or narcissistic tendencies. A lot of anxious attachment people will sometimes get into relationships with avoidant attachment styles. And I know that this is kind of putting it in a very black and white box and that's not always the case. You can actually figure out a way to make it work. But a lot of times when you're young and you don't have any of the emotional tools or knowledge to understand what's going on, that dynamic can be incredibly toxic because every single time the avoidant person pulls away, the anxious person leans in and that causes the avoidant person to pull away even further and then the anxious person is leaning in even further because they want to know what's going on and it ends up in the anxious person feeling a lot more crazier for having very basic needs. Also, as an anxious person, you're not really always able to get outside of your head in that moment and give the person who maybe has a more avoidant style or secure style the space that they're asking for in that moment because you just want to regulate your nervous system. Now I identify as somebody who has a secure attachment style with anxious tendencies. And I sit here now being like, I am still mind blown at how far I've come. I think some of the formative things that happened were that my first experience with relationships and love and men was kind of shitty. I was in a local production of West Side Story where I was playing Maria and I had the biggest crush on the guy playing Tony and I had horrible stage fright, not only because I was so scared of being Maria in West Side Story. I was so nervous about kissing this guy on stage. I was so nervous about just being around him because I wanted him to like me. Like that is the first time I remember experiencing anxiety in my life. I couldn't eat. Sometimes I would literally throw up from how anxious I got. I was like, something is wrong because I had not felt that kind of debilitating anxiety in my life before. And I think that this was truly the catalyst to it. What ended up happening was I had never had my first kiss at that time and we were supposed to kiss on stage. Literally a peck. Like we weren't even fucking making out. Somehow that got around to the guys in the cast and we were doing a rehearsal for one of the scenes and I was supposed to kiss him at the end of the scene. And all of the guys were like, be careful. Jamie has never kissed anyone. You're going to be her first kiss. When I heard that the guys were like making fun of me and got word of that, I went to school the next day and I found one of my best guy friends and I was like, hi, you need to kiss me. I am not going to have my first kiss on stage. I don't want this guy to be my first kiss. Like I need to know what I'm doing. He was like, <laughs> okay. And I was like, ha, the guy who's playing Tony thinks he's going to be my first kiss. Like, fuck you. No, you're not. Also, when I went over to my guy friend's house to experience my first kiss, we ended up making out afterwards. And then I also remember him trying to feel me up and I was like no and I kept on moving his hand and he kept moving it back but then I remember feeling so fucking confused because I was like well he's doing me a favor I think second base is also supposed to be something that people do when they're hooking up so maybe I should want this but the truth was I wasn't ready for that and it was my first kiss and I was really young and I didn't know what the fuck was happening. So then I get to the rehearsal and I can see this guy. He thinks that he's about to be my first kiss and he's looking at me with this look that I still remember. This terrified look where he was like, oh my God, I don't want to kiss her. I'm so scared. That is so fucking awful for a 16 year old. I just wanted to feel desired when I was younger. And so some of my first experiences with that were feeling the exact opposite. 
I don't even remember kissing him. I think it was like the most anticlimactic thing ever. On top of that, he also had a crush on one of my good friends in that play. He just wanted her and I just wanted him. And it was like, holy fuck, why does this pattern keep on repeating? You might be like, what do you mean repeating? Well, so the next year, I meet a new boy. We meet outside of the homecoming dance and he has his friends come up to me and tell me that he thinks I'm pretty. So I end up giving my number to them to give to him. And then he sends a juicy little text. He was like, hey, it's a guy who thinks you're pretty. And I was like, hey, it's the girl I thinks you are too. Like I legitimately thought I was the leading lady in a rom-com. To make an incredibly unnecessarily long saga short, I was so excited to break up with him. After two weeks, I just wasn't feeling it. I was sitting in fourth period math class, staring at the clock, waiting for the bell so that I could break up with him right after class. Of course, when I did, he had some asshole response and I was like, cool, made the right decision. Then eight months later, I don't find anybody else and I literally convinced myself that he might be the only man on earth that actually likes me. So I need to go back and convince myself that I like him. Well, coincidentally, this motherfucker finds love in those eight months and then when he breaks up with his girlfriend, I'm like, since I am the only exception, he's just gonna fall in love with me again, you know? Like I didn't really take into consideration that he was going through a heartbreak and just ended a relationship. I was like, hey, it's me, remember me? You like me, so you're just gonna like me again immediately? Um, no. <laughs> so to absolutely no one's surprise, he ends up breaking up with me about two weeks after we quote unquote date, aka I was his rebound and he gets back together with his ex. And I am left shocked and heartbroken. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that movies and rom-coms were definitely influential for me. I was just very enamored with the idea of being chased and desperately wanted and in this toxic love affair and making out in the rain. Like, delusional. You know what I wanted? I wanted him to show up outside of my doorstep holding up a boombox playing the song, You Are the Only Exception. Now, you want to know what movie I fuck with? 500 Days of Summer. That was so ahead of its time. Rom-com era is over. Show me breakup movies. Show me real life. I've never seen a movie where we're watching two people understand that they are just not meant for each other. Two people do not need to be wrong to not be right. We can just not be right for each other. We don't have to be good or bad or any sort of label. We just might not be for each other. And I think that movie was sort of comforting in a way because I've been with men where I'm like, on paper, you're fucking fantastic. And for whatever reason, I have no desire to be with you. Okay, back to my traumatic relationship patterns. I had anxiety about my anxiety. I was insecure about my insecurities. I literally was convinced that I was unlovable mainly because of my anxiety, which now I look back and I'm like, that is ridiculous. And I also can genuinely look at myself and be like, I actually feel like I'm pretty fucking easy to love. I think I would really enjoy being with somebody like me. And I mean that with my whole heart. I really look back at the younger version of me and I feel so much compassion for her. And I also just want to like hug her and squeeze her and be like, dude, you're going to realize you're going to realize so soon. Just hang in there. I had a lot of shame around admitting that I had an anxious attachment style because I think a lot of the time that came with a connotation of, oh, she, she's fucking crazy. That honestly could be something that I made up in my head. But I think even from reading Cosmopolitan or all these magazine articles about women and dating, it was always like, don't be too needy. Don't have needs. Don't have needs. If you want a man to love you, you know what? Just don't have needs. Actually, that was the worst fucking advice because then you become a fucking doormat. And let me tell you, that's really boring and guys can tell. In a way, 
my anxiety actually did the opposite of what you would think. I was so terrified, petrified of being needy that I tried to figure out the best way to completely eliminate having needs at all. I also had such a scarcity mindset around dating. So I would get into these like couple month flings. I was never somebody who would go from relationship to relationship. It was always like flings to flings to flings. And I was so insecure because around the three month mark, I always felt like things would just go to shit. Now, looking back, I could have predicted that now because I'm like the men that I was choosing Of course it went to shit at three months. We didn't have anything in common. They honestly were kind of shitty or we just weren't meshing and I was refusing to acknowledge it because I had such a scarcity mindset around it that like all of those flings were never meant to last. It was a fucking blessing that they never lasted. And I used to be like, I'm so jealous of everybody in relationships because I think that they have figured out something that I have never figured out before. They know something. They have this secret lovability quality that I must not have because people want to be with them and people want to stay with them. I would always be like, I can get the guy, but I can't stay with the guy. Let's just break that down. (laughs) Why the fuck is it my responsibility to get the guy to stay with me? This is so layered, this conversation, because there's also so much about misogyny and patriarchy in this, and patriarchy has fucked up men and women, okay? It's not just shitty for women. It's shitty for all of us, and we're all affected by it, and if you don't think you're affected by it, then I don't think you've done enough research. Through the media and magazines and movies and television shows, we were taught that the most lovable woman looked a certain way, had a very thin body, had fat in all the right places, was always upkeeping her appearance and had pretty much no anxiety, was always really confident, was always catering to what the man wanted, was okay with following his lead, had very little needs and could take care of a family and take care of her man. But she never threatened her man's masculinity, meaning she was always like one step below him, but they were okay with that. I have more hope for the younger generation because I really do think that we are evolving out of it. I think we have so much longer to go for obvious reasons. When I met my first long-term partner, I was 25. And looking back, there were a lot of red flags pretty much from the jump that I either decided to neutralize in my head or completely ignore. He actually told me up front that he was afraid to get too close to me because he does struggle with anger issues. And I was like, oh, that's fine. Like, it's not going to happen with me, though. Or like, oh, I know how to deal with that, though. I'm like the most patient person in the entire world. A toxic person will pretty much tell you they're toxic off the bat. It's kind of on you to listen. As long as I was showing up for the relationship and enabling some of his toxic behaviors, that also made me toxic. Not only that, but he was a good-looking model and actor who I believed had this sort of status that I never felt like I had when I was a kid that made me feel like if this person wants to love me, then that makes me lovable. I still struggle with the idea of, oh, this person with status will reaffirm my worthiness. And it's total bullshit. It's total bullshit, and it'll keep you in the wrong relationships. Anyway, we end up dating, and being with him was pretty much a a roller coaster just because he did come from a really, really troubled past. He had not really been to the level of therapy that was required for him. He was also sober. During COVID, he sort of ended up relapsing on something else. 
I was being gaslit for a really long time for questioning this behavior. Disclaimer, like this was never a physically abusive relationship. There were things that felt very emotionally abusive. And at the very end of the relationship, we were actually doing a self-tape together, how every actor relationship ends. And I think he was saying like, your notes, like, I don't want your notes. Your notes suck. And my friend thinks your notes suck too. And I was like, One thing I always felt during that relationship was that I could never feel my full range of emotions because I was always looking out to make sure that his emotions were taken care of because he was such a firecracker that he could explode at any time. So I was like, I need to push down all of my needs and all of my emotions to make sure that he can survive in this relationship. And so I remember being like, hmm, I'm a little annoyed by that. And I wonder what it would be like if I allowed myself to have a little bit of an annoyed response where I was like, really? How do you think that's fair? That was pretty much the extent of my annoyed tone. And he flew off the handle and swore at me. And I was like, oh, I'm done. Immediately after that, I was like, you need to leave. I went quiet. Like anytime that I get yelled at, I go completely quiet. I shut down. Also in that moment, I am acutely aware that whoever the person is in front of me right now is not the person that I feel safe around and I don't think we can actually have a productive conversation so I was like you need to go he comes back he's like oh my god I'm so sorry like I would never do that you're the love of my life blah 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 I felt my body leave that relationship and I know that because it wasn't an anxious feeling after that fight it was this calm quiet still knowing deep in my gut that was like no leave please leave And I thank God that he yelled at me that day because there were so many other little things that now would be big things to me. But there were so many other little things where I was like, well, he's not like hitting me. So like, it's not actually abusive. And he's being nice in this scenario, but he's being a fucking asshole in this scenario. But like, I should be grateful, right? I should just be grateful. No, you don't need to just be grateful. Just because he's doing the bare fucking minimum, aka, oh my God, but he would like never cheat on me. Yeah, he's your boyfriend. That's that's the bare fucking minimum. That is not a special quality. I decided to fly home to be with my family. And of course, I called all my friends because I wanted all their opinions. And I found myself trying to convince them that I should go, which I have done plenty of times. And my life coach will be like, Jamie, you don't need to convince me. It's just very clear. You're trying to convince yourself and you don't need to. It sounds like you know exactly what you want to do. So do it. When I was home, he ended up calling me and he was like, this is a rough patch, but we're going to get back together. And I was like, I think I want to be done. And we hung up and I downloaded the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle on Audible, which if you're going through a breakup or a hard time or you're questioning your relationship or you don't know if this is emotional abuse because maybe it sounds a little bit like it, but actually it's not that bad, download Untamed by Glennon Doyle because she says this one line that wrecked me. She was like, I was looking at my daughter and I was like, I am staying in this relationship for my daughter, but would I want this relationship for my daughter? And I know I don't have kids. I still was like, would I want this relationship for anybody in the world that I loved with my whole heart? No. I remember after that book, I felt this relief. I felt like I was in prison in like a 30-year relationship that only lasted a year. After that, I was so free in a way I hadn't been in a long time and in a lot of ways I thank him because I'm like I think he actually knocked the anxious attachment right the fuck out of me I never 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 will put myself through that again and what's interesting is there were many beautiful moments of our relationship and that's why I want to make it clear nobody is all bad 
Like everybody has beautiful qualities about themselves. Ted Bundy had beautiful qualities about himself. Everybody who is kind of shitty probably has some good shit that can make you want to hold on to them. And that's what gets really confusing because you're like, but, but, but the good, the good, oh my God. No, if the bad outweighs the good, that's enough. That's enough. Also, you don't even need to have bad to not want to be in it. It could be fucking amazing and you could just have your body being like, I don't want this anymore. Go watch Tiny Beautiful Things or read Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed because that is another book where she literally has this whole passage on leaving a relationship that is actually wonderful and healthy. But for some reason, she was like, just I, my body wants to leave. So leave because wanting to leave is enough. It is enough. You don't need logical facts to back your reason for leaving. You wanting to leave a relationship is more than enough information. That's actually all you need. Me leaving the relationship was the only way for both of us to become better and healthier people. I think that he was my soulmate for that time period in my life where he was reflecting back to me a lot of my own toxic patterns that I needed to work on. In all of his relationships, he had been more of the alpha one and ended up breaking up with every single one of his exes. In my relationships, I always felt like I was the doormat and I was being broken up with. I learned that actually I can leave a relationship, which is something that I actually never thought that I could do because I was feeling so desperate for the longest time. And he needed to learn that people actually will leave you if you're not treating them right. And then a year and a half later, we ended up talking. And what was cool was that we were laughing at things we used to fight and cry about. It just became clear to me that I saw a glimpse of a really good guy who was just struggling to fully own these vulnerable parts of himself. And I thought that I could be the special one to change him and make it come through. I was like, let me fix you, honey. Let me be your rehab center. Let me be your personal rehab center. Uh, And that was just a fucking lesson that I am not that powerful. Nobody is. I think also I used to always say, oh my God, I just want somebody as like sweet and vulnerable as my dad. After going home after my breakup, I realized how much I was missing. My dad is very similar in the sense where, I mean, we have no addiction history in my family, which I'm very grateful for. But my dad is very similar in the sense where I see these parts of himself, this like emotional vulnerable part of himself and I cling to that because I love seeing how sensitive he can be but he will only show that to me through music and movies because that's how he knows and that's how he feels safe expressing his emotions I sort of saw that mirrored in my ex-boyfriend and because I was so codependent and truly so desperate for love I went the complete opposite way after my relationship so from like 26 to probably even now, I tend to be a little bit more avoidant than I ever have been. I still mainly identify with the secure attachment style, but I definitely went very far on the other side of the pendulum because I really needed to even myself out. And for a while, I was like, I truly want to be alone. I'm not convincing myself I like somebody anymore. I am giving my body permission to do what she needs to do. And honestly, My younger 20s felt like everybody was leaving me. My later 20s feels like I am kind of leaving everyone else. And I just have had too many experiences through my other friends who have found their people where they were like, I promise you, 
I had a deep knowing that this person understood me and got me in a way that made me feel so seen, safe, and calm. And it's not that I don't get butterflies around them, but I wouldn't even call them butterflies. I get so excited to see them because I am so safely in love with them. I know that exists. And pretty much within the first three dates, the people that have come to me and said that they have that story, they have known pretty early on that something was there. And so after that third date, if I don't have that knowing, I am not going to force it because that has only gotten me into trouble. Now I'm going to do your questions and answers because this is a long episode. I picked some of my favorite ones that I think are some juicers. How to get over the one who you thought you were going to marry and have kids with. I guess my question to you, what made this person the one? Because that's a pretty heavy label to put on somebody who sounds like they are no longer going to marry and have kids with you. AKA, I don't think they're the one. I don't think any of us go into relationships wanting to break up. I don't think any of us go into marriages wanting to get a divorce. Most of us who have good intentions. I think this kind of goes back to what I was saying about my ex. It sounds like he was your soulmate for that time in your life. So I think the first step in truly getting over him would be to kindly dethrone him from where he's sitting as the one. And sometimes your number two is your forever person. And that's okay. And sometimes your number three is your forever person because you figured it out at that time in your life. We don't always have to get it right on the first try. You don't have to jump to your next relationship right away. Go to therapy and figure out why you labeled him as the one for so long. Honestly, I will recommend therapy to every single person that asks me a question, not because I think there is something inherently wrong with you, but because I think there's something inherently wrong with anybody who doesn't want to go to therapy. Number two, how can you tell if someone has red flag signs early on? Something tells me that because you're asking this question, you might be seeing somebody with some red flags happening early on. And I feel like if you have to ask yourself that question, more often than not, it's probably a red flag. The whole love bombing thing really is true. If you are with somebody and within the first couple of times that you're meeting, they're already telling you that you're the greatest person on the planet, the best thing that's ever happened to them, and they're obsessed with you and they want to marry you, like you do not have enough data points about that person to make an informed decision like that. It almost feels less personal to me because I'm like, okay, is this person just like extremely desperate for love and they're just telling me that because they are desperate for me to be the person that stays with them but they don't really even know me how how is that possible next one my boyfriend doesn't like the way i dress baggy clothes since i'm a body dysmorphia girly too i just want to know why your boyfriend is even policing the way that you dress is this an unsolicited opinion i also think that's incredibly insensitive because i'm assuming that you have communicated to him that you have body dysmorphia and you feel comfortable and sexy in oversized clothes. I don't think that it's up to him how you feel comfortable and sexy in your own body. If this was a good partner or if this was a partner who was very sensitive to your insecurities, I think he'd be like, babe, it doesn't really matter what the fuck you wear. Like, I think you are so beautiful and sexy. Truly, unless you're leaving the house and you're like, should I wear this or this? Like, that is the only time that I really care about his opinion. Other than that, He should be making you feel like the hottest bitch on the planet. My ex of a long distance relationship continued to reach out to me for seven months. Never had real no contact. Now is moving back to LA and was love bombing me for the first few days. Now he's gone silent and I feel like I did something wrong. Mixed emotions. Thoughts. Advice. Okay. 
Somehow in the editing process, I managed to lose all of the question and answers that I had recorded. I'm going to make sure to do question and answers at the end of every episode because I love doing this. But for now, I'm just going to answer this last question because I like it and I responded to it on stories, but I wanted to bring it back because I think it's really relevant to this conversation. First of all, it sounded like he never really respected the no contact when you guys broke up. And I think where you have to take responsibility is not setting that clear enough boundary and responding to him, which was communicating that you were allowing him to disrespect your boundary. The other thing is that you labeled his behavior as love bombing, which tells me that you kind of know that what he's doing isn't right. And I think that it's a really typical behavior for somebody to love bomb you and then all of a sudden take that away and go silent and you're like left wondering what the hell you did wrong. That's like exactly why people love bomb is because they tell you everything they want to hear. They make you feel so, so good for an extended period of time. And then when they drop off the face of the earth, you're left wondering, wait, what the hell? And you're clawing back trying to get that initial high that they gave you when they were love bombing you. And then the third part of this is that I know from experience I like to blame myself because that is my false sense of control in the situation. So if I can make something my fault, then I can change my behavior. But if it's somebody else and I have no control over them, then I have to sit in that really uncomfortable unknown. And so I think it's probably your brain trying to find a false sense of comfort by blaming yourself and searching for whatever you could have done wrong, when in reality, this is just a toxic dude. And I think you know that. So you're already ahead of the game. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. As always, please leave any comments below. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and you can follow me on any of my social media platforms. It's at Jamie Alex. Feel free to send me messages on Instagram. I will get back to you as soon as I can. Okay, I still suck at goodbyes. I love you. Bye.